Namo tassa vakavato arahato samma sambutasa namo tassa vakavato arahato samma sambutasa namo tassa vakavato arahato samma sambutasa aparuta de sangamatasa tawara So this afternoon, it's an occasion to be the witness to the way it is. And as I've repeated many times, uh, how my words affect you when you hear, hear me reflecting on Dhamma or the way it is. And so these words have an effect on us. Sometimes they confuse you or help you or make you angry or you can have just nothing, boredom or just not caring. But whatever experiences emotionally you're having, be the witness of it. It's this puto type of meditation where you you take the position of the enlightened Buddha, which is mindfulness, awareness, that's the Buddha position, and witness the way it is, as you experience it yourself. So each one of us is not going to have the same reaction or same experience, because the forms are different. So we, we look at the forms and we, you know, we see uh, physical form, male, female, male, nuns, monks, lay people, and these forms are sensitive forms. So the experience of life as a human being is the experience of sensitivity. So just contemplate that, the reality of having to live a lifetime in a very sensitive form, which can be both either pleasant or unpleasant, successful or failure. Every one of these forms was born, will get, it grows up and eventually dies. So the forms, being a witness to form, is taking the Buddha position of knowing the way it is. So each one of us as a person doesn't feel that, that I'm a Buddha or I can, isn't it kind of assuming something like I'm taking the Buddha position but what is the Buddha position when I use these terms? What is Buddha really in practical terms? 
in reality. And that's our ability to know the way it is. All conditions, the forms here, every single form is impermanent. So we're very much aware of age, of uh, gender, of race, and these, uh, these are about forms themselves because they can be different colors, different genders, and so the differences are all with the forms, not with the witness. The Buddha is here and now, mindfulness here and now. So putting the Buddha position as mindfulness here and now or conscious awareness, or the big word in modern psychology at this time is like mindfulness or awareness. And so we tend to see mindfulness as being uh, mindful of objects that we see or hear. So when you go to London on the railway, you have the sign, mind the gap, and things like that. So you, you notice there's a gap between the platform and the train. So of course your mind has to go out to to look at the gap. Be mindful of it so you don't trip on it. So this going out, uh, notice that the senses all have their objects, like the eyes have uh, sight. They're sensitive forms conscious forms that are themselves sensitive and can see objects. So we can see each other with our eyes. Monks over here, nuns over there, I see, actually even though I don't have very good eyesight, it's good enough to, to be able to recognize the, the difference. Where are the nuns, where are the monks? So the objects of sound, like the sound of the construction going on, we hear that. And then we feel, uh, we can feel annoyed by it. We want it to be silent, or maybe the noise distracts you, but you can be aware. The noise is like this. My emotional re response to it is aversion. I don't like it, I don't want it. But the important message is to being the knower, the puto, the, the taking the Buddha position to realize that all conditions are impermanent and not self. So conditioned phenomena affects us because conditions are changeable, unstable. They can be wonderful or horrible, good or bad, right or wrong, beautiful or ugly what we want, what we don't want, because conditioned phenomena is caught in this incessant, inexorable changingness. Something beautiful can change into something ugly. What we hear 
can change into what we like or what we don't like. So we, we perceive the sound. We hear the silence now. The construction sound has stopped. It's like this. And we feel a certain way about it. And we much prefer silence to some kind of noisy machine. But what is it that knows? Is it me personally knowing? Is it Ajahn Sumato knowing the way it is? Because what is Ajahn Sumato? What, what am I really in the terms of Dhamma? And this is a form. And uh, it's our... It's, we call it a bhikkhu, a Buddhist monk. is a name given to me by my preceptor when I ordained. Sumato was not my original name. So the Ajahn Sumato is a perception that you use, conventional perception, that is nothing right or wrong about it. It's useful on the conventional level. But ultimately... Ajahn Sumato are just words created by human beings that arise and cease according to conditions. So when I go back to my kuti, then you, you say, uh, Ajahn Sumato's in his kuti, but so that's the conventional assumption. He's resting. He's in his kuti. That's the conventional way of talking. So conventions are, language is a convention. The uh, realm we live, what we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, and feel through the body, through the senses, are all conventional conditions that are depend on other conditions. And what do all conditions depend on? What is the source? This is a question to ask yourself. What is the source of all these conventions that arise and cease and change? Is consciousness. So consciousness is not personal. It's not like my consciousness and your consciousness. Consciousness through the senses the senses are themselves very impermanent. So, they, you know, they, as you get older, your senses deteriorate. So, um, the sense consciousness is very unstable and conditioned by other conditions. But what is, sentence, what is the ultimate consciousness, the deathless consciousness, ultimate reality, where is that? And then we try to think about it, uh, we can uh, believe in it, or we begin to realize, taking the Buddha position, being the witness to experience, rather than the experiencer. You can be aware Awareness is the gate to the deathless. 
So they, they call the amata dhamma, ultimate reality, absolute reality that doesn't arise and cease. So liberation or enlightenment is realizing ultimate reality for yourself because we, to do this we have to be the witness to the conditions we experience through the form. The forms are the way they are. You can't help being the way you are. You know, we can be critical, we can have views, opinions about the way one is or somebody else is <clears throat> because they might uh, be very uh, confused or emotional or unhappy or depressed or maybe they're bipolar, overexcited, very positive or very negative. The, the uh, personality changes. But who is a witness of the personality? What is that witness? What is aware of personality? Is puto, or taking the Buddha position. So like this Buddha Rupa behind me, this golden figure is an icon that I've always really appreciated because it is a, a form of a human being so it's not like some abstract form. So Buddha is, is a word we use for awakened conscious awareness, which is our ability to be, to witness the experiences that we have through the senses and let go of them. So the, the problem of suffering is always identifying with the with the conventional world, identifying with the body, identifying with the emotions, identifying with, with our gender, or our position in the Sangha, or our religious tendencies, our emotional habits. We, we say somebody's too emotional, or somebody doesn't seem to have emotions, some people are extroverts, introverts. These are all made up words describing what we, uh, we, what we, can, what we witness as, as external experience. So external experience, is we're always going out, looking at, at somebody else or the, listening to the sounds of the construction or then we might feel annoyed and then we hold to the view that if we're really mindful we wouldn't be annoyed by the sound of construction workers outside the, the temple. Uh, we might feel anger and then we're told we shouldn't be angry, we should conquer anger. <clears throat> we're celibate so we shouldn't have sexual desires we shouldn't have uh, these kind of uh, feelings or emotions are judged as bad or kilesas, defilements, words that convey something bad or wrong about them. So we're conditioned 
by culture, by education, to see things in terms of right and wrong, good and bad. And that's the whole problem of suffering, is we're conditioned to see in these very dualistic terms and judge ourselves and the people around us, the society we're in, according to these particular views that we've acquired. So this is just where the witness, the puto, the witness taking the Buddha position, then you're aware of the way it is. The way it is could be pleasant or painful, but it is impermanent. And so you can, you, you let go of it, doesn't mean you get rid of it. Now the Buddha made it very clear in his first sermon that the middle way is not uh, to try to strive to become an immortal person for eternal happiness, permanent happiness in a, in a heavenly realm or to annihilate anything. It's not about annihilation or destroying anything. <coughs> So that's when we chant the Tamajaka Pawatana Sutta, we Atakilamatano Yoka Yoka. I forget the terms at this moment. And so Kamasukalikano Yoko Atakilamatano Yoko, eternal conditions or or uh, destruction. So do we destruct and kill our defilements, what we, we assume is a defilement in our minds, in our bodies? Is we ask to destroy it, deny it? No, no, that's not Dhamma, that's not the way it is. That's the ego convinced that kilesas are bad, we've got to get rid of them. So in many religious instructions, there are instructions about killing kilesa. And I remember in Thailand, before I came to England, when we were establishing Wat Pa Chat, and uh, I was listening to various Dhamma teachers who talk about killing the kilesas, ka kile, so, I found that, that that was, that word, kill the kilesas, had an effect on me. I've got to get rid of them. They're bad, and I've got to destroy them. So it, and that, and that didn't align itself with the Tamajaka Pawatana Sutta. It's not about destruction or eternalism. So what do you do with the kilesas? Is understand them, they arise and cease. The Buddha position is aware of, they are what they are. Greed, hatred, delusion, they are what they are. Greed is like this. And you begin to observe greed as, as an object. Here you're going inward, rather than going outward looking at 
hoping to find a teacher who has no greed. Sometimes we're looking for perfection in, in human teachers. So we go around to different monasteries in Thailand and we, we want them to receive something about the teacher that we, we don't, if he was really enlightened, he wouldn't be doing. And so we said, he's not my teacher. And so we, we form opinions about teachers according to what we're, how we're holding the word uh, in the, about the defilements of the kilesas. So recently in the news and the media, the Dalai Lama was, was uh, criticized because he, according to the tradi uh, Tibetan tradition, which is very different from Western culture, uh, he asked the little boy to suck on his thumb, on his tongue. And of course, the Western mindset, this is perversion. So is the Dalai Lama per, a pervert, you know, if, if this is a perversion, or is this just a Tibetan way of expressing love and affection, appreciation? With Dalai Lama, I assume it's, that's what it is. Just a way of uh, giving faith to a little boy. But the Western mind immediately latches on to this news and starts making claims and criticizing the Dalai Lama over this event. Because that's the way we're conditioned. We're so aware now of pedophilia and and uh, there's so much interest in child protection and hands-off and, and all that, that it is very strong, this Me Too kind of mindset, where we've got to have all kinds of uh, forbidding behavior and political correctness dominate our consciousness, and that's created by human societies or human individuals. Is it wrong to, to enjoy ice cream? Would an arahant eat ice cream? Because sometimes people think arahants shouldn't be enjoying ice cream. They're totally indifferent to ice cream. And so, so the ideal arahant may be more like a Buddha Rupa, that the Buddha Rupa doesn't want ice cream at all. So, at least I'm not aware of it. So, so this is, you know, it's a, this is a, an ideal arahant, becomes almost a, a static form, an ideal form in your, in your brain, so nobody can, nobody, these human forms are like this. Ice cream is delicious. So it's enjoyable, that's the way it is. 
One time in Wat Bapo years ago, uh, when Lung Pa Cha was alive, when I was training there, uh, we were supposed to contemplate the food we're eating before we eat it. And so we, we uh, after we, the blessing has been given, we look into our alms bowls and, and stare at the food and contemplate all this food is going to mix with my saliva, go through my system and come out as fecal matter so that we, this kind of greed for food, we see as something where we don't want. And then we contemplate the, the, the process, the human process of a human body of digestion and excretion because that's not very attractive. The food in the, in the, on the plate or in the arms bowl looks very nice, can look very, very tempting and pleasing. It's like this. And then we, we contemplate that when we put it in our mouth, and chew on it, uh, then if we spit it out, we don't want to put it back in our mouth, mixed with our own saliva. So the, this is the way, you know, the conditioning of human society is uh, that, that this is, uh, if somebody's chewed the food, it's already uh, unedible and we don't want it. Yet in some cultures, a mother uh, will when she starts feeding her baby girl or baby boy, will chew the food and then put it into the baby's mouth, make it more easy to digest. <clears throat> These are cultural differences, and they're very much conditioned about <clears throat> what's good, what's bad, what's right, what's wrong. But the witness doesn't make judgments. The Buddha position is not a judgmental position. It's totally observing, witnessing, witnessing in a loving way, in accepting way, not in, in a kind of in totally indifferent to what experience is. So this is in with sati, with mindfulness and awareness, then there is metta, loving kindness, a kind of acceptance of everything as it is, a karuna or compassion. We feel the sadness of, of society. When one of your loved ones passes away, it's naturally to feel sad whether you're enlightened or not. Sadness is, is part of the process that humans feel when their mothers or fathers or sisters or wives or husbands, children pass away because that's a sad event to most of us. And sadness is like this. So the witness to sadness isn't sad. But one can still experience sadness because there's so much sadness in the world. When you read the news or hear the news about <clears throat> all these 
Ukrainian soldiers and Russian soldiers dying on the battlefield here in Europe. You know, young men and women caught in a, in a war they didn't start and being slaughtered in their youth is very sad. That's the way it is. It's so sad to hear that. I don't know any of them. Not anyone I know, but I can still feel the sadness of when I hear the news about all these young people being slaughtered on battlefields. Or the sadness of starvation, flooding in Africa or Bangladesh or places like that. So sadness is part of life. Loss of the loved ones, the unpleasant conditions, old age can be quite a challenge, just living with an, an aging body. Things like this are to be witnessed. So, so learning to trust this sati sampachanya, mindfulness, Clear comprehension, understanding that all conditions are impermanent. Sadness, grief, despair, doubt, all these are emotions that, that are conditioned by other conditions. Sometimes life is very pleasant, very happy, very joyful, very beautiful. And so, is it, can we enjoy the beauty of life? Or should we just say, well, it, those flowers on the shrine, they're beautiful now, but in a few days they'll be wilted and they won't no longer be beautiful. And so then the, the, we must throw them out if we, they're ugly and, and withering. We don't like them. That's just the way it is. Faded flowers are not beautiful. They're like this. And when you look at them, you feel a certain way. Take them away. We want only fresh, beautiful flowers on the shrine. And be aware of that, of how we're conditioned to, to, to our religious conditioning to see that on a shrine you put the very best. You try to make a, a shrine beautiful and inspiring. So these are the uh, opposites that we live in, the changing forms of vegetation, of flowers, of societies, of families, of our own bodies. And what doesn't age, what doesn't grow old or fade or get withered is Sati Sampachanya, or awareness. Conscious awareness. Now consciousness, as I've repeated many times, there's sense consciousness, which is the five khandhas. So when we talk about the five khandhas, which are the body, uh, the feelings, the uh, memories, the emotions, and the consciousness through the senses is all very impermanent. 
So when we talk about vijnana being impermanent, that's about what the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body consciousness, because those senses are impermanent. Consciousness through senses, which we tend to identify with and create the world, the world of pleasure and pain and me and mine with the senses, with the body. This body is me. It's mine. My emotions, when I feel sadness, it's my, I'm sad. Maybe somebody else isn't sad. So I identify with, I, I still get sad, I still feel hungry, I like to eat ice cream. Sexual desire, how do you get rid of all these things? That, you know, they'd be totally indifferent to ice cream, totally indifferent to, to flowers, beauty, to the beauty of flowers on the shrine, totally indifferent to, to the world that I'm experiencing, or to understand it. So this whole point is to understand suffering, which is the first noble truth. There is suffering, it should be understood. So to understand suffering, you have to be encouraged to take the Buddha position, the Buddha stance of awareness, and then that is, then look at suffering that you might be experiencing from just pure awareness. It is like this. My feelings of, of fear, anger, resentment are like this. They are the way they are, they come and go. And that's wisdom, to know the, the nature of phenomena is impermanent and not self. That's where wisdom arises when we, wisdom is here and now with, with conscious awareness. It's the door to wisdom where we can see the world that we identify with and believe in is the way it is, a changing conditioned realm that isn't always changing for the better. When there's progress, progress can happen and then it can go the opposite direction. Just like day and night. Just like your breath, you can only inhale so far then you have to exhale. So that's the way the, the worldly conditions are. They all are that way. The emotions you feel, the, the way you're conditioned as a, person, a separate person, the way your ego operates. You know, it's not to criticize it, there's something wrong, but it is the way it is. And learn to just be aware of it rather than grasp it and believe in it or try to change it. So this is, you know, this is a very profound teaching when you think of it because the world, you're going against everything you've been told and all the education you've received tells you differently. 
that consciousness is the senses, is in the brain, is in the consciousness is inside my body. And when when I die, when this body dies, then where does my consciousness go? Because the consciousness may be to rebirth. You know, so we have all stories about being reborn into, uh, if I've been a good boy, good monk, then I get reborn in a deva realm or some auspicious place. If I've been a bad monk, bad boy, then I go to the lower realms, the abaya realms, uh, the hell realms. So like heaven and hell are concepts made up by human beings. Is there heaven and hell? You know, is, is it kind of permanent heaven and a permanent hell? You know, we can believe there is. We're told that the heaven is permanent and then hell is eternal, eternal misery. You can imagine that, you make images of suffering, human suffering for eternity. But is, is that, that's a belief rather than Dhamma or reality itself. So being human is like this. We've got animal bodies. These bodies are not that much different from monkeys or chimpanzees or gorillas. We're kind of advanced apes. And even that can be seen as uh, kind of arrogant, you know, that we're better than the, the most advanced kind of monkey in the world. Or we assume that. We feel superior to monkeys and chimpanzees. You can't help it because when you watch uh, monkey behavior, you know, you, you see monkeys are what they are. They, they're mischievous, they're naughty, they fight, they have sex, they're hungry and want to eat things. And so then we see ourselves as superior to monkeys because we have moral positions to take and etiquette that we've been trained with, precepts. We've been trained to act in a certain way of good behavior, be proper, be polite, is uh, usually the kind of conditioning most of us receive. Don't be emotional, be reasonable, sensible, practical. And all these, you know, are, are conditions that are very based on ideals. Because reason is a very uh, good uh, use of the brain to be reasonable. But attachment to reason, when we attach to, to just intellectual thinking and reason, then we don't feel life very much because we consider the emotional 
experience as inferior intellectual people with with brilliant minds you know that can delve into science astro technology and all the rest are, are highly admired but then can you devote your uh, devote yourself to science and psychology as an ideal or can you awaken to the way it is yourself so here at Amravati, the point and encouragement of living in a community like this is to be constantly reminded the Buddha position is, is your true position. You don't, one doesn't consider oneself a Buddha, but the Buddha position is being the Bhutto, the knower of the way it is. And the way it is for all phenomena that we experience through the senses, the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, brain, is that it's changing. It's a Nietzsche, it's impermanent. And that is that good or bad? No, it's just the way it is. Is growing old good or bad? You know, it's just the way human bodies develop. And it's just the way it is. It's uh, natural to be born. Is it, when a baby is born, is it, is it consciousness enters the baby's brain? Is, we can believe that. When does, when does uh, consciousness uh, arise in a, in a baby or is it in the womb? Does, is a baby conscious in the womb? And then we, there's arguments now about abortion and, and is, is having an abortion a, a murderous act? You know, so we speculate when, when does a baby uh, suddenly become conscious? And we can fight over that about whether uh, support life, life, for life, you know, the abortion is bad, or is it allowable, or right, or wrong? These are various opinions that individuals form, take sides. But the baby in the womb, and the mother that has the womb, and all of us are in consciousness. You can't kill consciousness. You can't destroy consciousness. It's impossible. So consciousness is here and now, timeless. And the Buddha position is to awaken to that reality, to ultimate reality, to absolute reality. To know this for yourself. Because this we can do. This is not asking too much. You know, the Buddhist teaching is, is an old teaching. So 2,565 years ago, in most of our minds, we're, that's a long time ago. That's, you know, 
Buddhism is an old Asian religion from India. What has it to do with modern life, modern science, psychology, and in a high-tech and culture such as the UK? But you notice the actual teaching is a timeless one. The Four Noble Truths are timeless. They're not about Indian culture 2,500 years ago. So we have a Buddhist cosmology that comes from India that was obviously present at the time of the Buddha 2,500 years ago. But it's not the cosmology that we're believing in. Cosmology is another attempt to explain life. So do the Deva realms really exist? Do the hell realms really exist? You know, are they just blind faith beliefs or ignorance or... And as a human being, we experience both heaven and hell. Like a happy day, a sunny day, beautiful flowers on the shrine, harmony in the sangha, it's heaven. And everything's confused and going wrong and it's cold and wet and and uh, there's no harmony, no respect in the Sangha, it's hell, it's like this. So that you don't have to wait to find out whether you go to heaven or hell, because we experience it all the time. Happiness is heaven, misery is hell. And so we want permanent happiness, because heaven is desirable. Heaven is, has everything we desire, permanent ice cream, and no pain or emotional stress, sung harmony 24-7, and everybody getting along and helping each other. The government, the UK government is in perfect harmony, perfect democracy. And we all love the Prime Minister. <laughs> and he's only interested in the welfare of the country, has no selfish, powerful ambitions. And all the members of Parliament are honest and perfectly uh, not corrupted by anything. That's an ideal. That's a heavenly ideal. But governments are not based on wisdom, but on the way things are. The, you know, the human being is like this. You are the way you are, but you have this opportunity to take the Buddha position or whatever you want to call it, such mindfulness, awareness, conscious awareness. These are just terms given to this, what, what I've been referring to as the Buddha position of witnessing. So hell is impermanent. Heaven is impermanent. But what is permanent is conscious awareness. Consciousness 
doesn't have, it's not judgmental, doesn't have a language. When you realize for yourself the silence of conscious awareness, there's no words. It's not about this is heaven or, you know, doubts can arise when you start thinking. But pure consciousness embraces everything. It's, it's the source where things manifest, where space manifests, where the forms can manifest, where planets like Earth can manifest in space, where animals, vegetation, rocks, mountains, seas, whales, and all the rest manifest. If there was no consciousness or space, there'd be no place to manifest anything. There'd be no manifestation. There'd be no source for it. So consciousness is the source that is apparent here and now. And you can't find it because you are that. And that is the Buddha position in which you're aware of Dhamma the way it is rather than someone trying to get enlightened through various meditation techniques or or through varied advice from scriptures or teachers, where you're constantly as a person trying to get samadhi, concentration, get rid of your defilements. That's all ego, that's uh, sakyaditi. Because ego, you know, wants to get rid of the defilements. When I first started meditating. I wanted to get rid of my defilements and killing the cases was too heavy for me. So I kind of gave up on trying to kill them and then it was to understand them. They are, they arise and cease according to conditions. So there's nothing to fear when you take the Buddha position of awareness, but fear can still arise because things that we experience, vipaka kama, or the karma of the past, memories of the past, can still arouse anger or fear in the present. But the Buddha position knows it is that this fear this anger, this rage, is a condition that arises and ceases. So we don't grasp it. We can still feel it. You know, we can, because it's our vipaka karma, the karma that we made in the past through our ignorance of Dhamma by operating from just the conditioning we've received. We didn't know any better. But now we know better that we're not what we think. We're not the, the body that we identify with. We're not the emotions that we feel. They are, they can be pleasant, unpleasant, good or bad, right or wrong, but we're no longer judging them. Those judgments are made by individual human beings, by societies.
So the society we live in is very judgmental. <clears throat> and uh, we're, and the, the edu more educated you are, you, you tend to form a lot of judgments and strong opinions about what's right and what's wrong. If you're not educated very well, you know, you've been conditioned by life, by your family, by your identity, with your social position. We unquestionably, you operate from the conditioning that you received when you were a child. As we grow older, we get, we begin to question, uh, you know, what, do, about, do you believe in God? And uh, I was told that to doubt God was a sin, a mortal sin. And then as a in teenager, I started questioning, what do you mean by God? I don't really understand that. And so then, you know, you go and try to find out what God is, and nobody can really explain it. Because what is God in reality? What, what use is that word? What effect does it have on your emotions? And as a child, I believed. I told, believed what I was told. So I had no problem believing in God as a benevolent, uh, loving father figure up in the sky. So God was high above me. But is God really high above anything? Or is God just the reality of conscious awareness? These are questions that, you know, these are not doctrinal positions, but suddenly the word God no longer means the limited belief that I'd received as a child. But God, Dhamma, whatever words you want to use, you know, they are words and you're trying to explain it, does God exist or not exist? You know, you can believe that he does or that he doesn't. Those are beliefs that you choose. But what is the reality of God at this very moment? And my insight is Consciousness here and now. God is here and now. And not a judgmental figure that sends you to heaven or hell according to your behavior in this very limited, vulnerable form. So I offer this for your reflection.